Welcome to Strong Points, Weak Points, the Terry Taylor extravaganza. My name is Samuel, and it's the 2010s. Where's our rocket pack? And I'm Aaron. Now she bakes chocolate Bibles, a witness to my unsafe father. <laughs> and we have a special guest with us. Sam, you want to do the introduction? Sure. We have once again with us the um, the man, the myth, the legend, Terry Scott Taylor. Welcome, so- sir. Thank you so much for joining us. Thank you for having me again, guys. I really enjoy this. So tonight, I am super excited. Um, we are on tr- album number three of the... Um, wow, why did my brain just leave me? <laughs> Of the Chronicles. Alarm Chronicles. The Alarm Chronicles. I knew that. I pro- I am a fan, I promise. And uh, I believe it. I believe it. So tonight we we're talking about Vox Humana. Um came out in nineteen eighty four. And Terry's like, Hey, uh, can I go track by track with you guys? And we we're like, Yes, please. <laughs> so um let's go ahead and open up how we always do. I'll give who played on this, and then Terry, if you want to add anyone else, and then we'll talk kind of like cover our background information. So um, it looks like here we have, of course, Terry on uh, vocals and guitar. We have Tim Chandler on bass and lead guitar, um, Rob Watson on keyboards, and Edmund Taggart on drums. So if I'm not mistaken, the only returning person here is Ed and Terry. Uh, Rob and Tim are both new guys. Yeah, um, yeah, yeah. I, th- I think that's right. Uh, I'm, I'm trying to think. Was it Tim's first uh, recording? I'm spacing out myself. <laughs> His may have been doppelganger. I can't remember. I, for I, think, sure, it, but... I think. I think it was. I think it was. But uh, don't quote me on that. I'm fogging out right now myself. No, that's fair. Uh, yeah, yeah four, four, four pieces. Very nice. And, um, and, and Tim, and Tim uh, you know, Tim uh, hadn't played guitar uh, for us up to that point. So, you know, we were able to utilize him. It was Greg Flesh who came in late to the project because he wasn't a member of the band. And we were kind of, we were kind of in between um, guitar players at that point. And Tim had mentioned that he had a friend, Greg, who was a fantastic player. And uh, would we be interested in sort of auditioning him for the band? So we thought, well, one of the, one of the a great way to do it would be to bring him down and, and, and uh, play, play, on a tr- play on a couple of tracks. Uh, you know, before before we made the decision whether to hire him or not as a band member, and uh, it's it's funny because Refuge Records had already released a single of um, Home Permanent, and uh, the one that wound up on the al- it's different from the one on the album because there's no guitar, there's no lead guitar in it. So the so uh, Greg came into the in to do his. Uh, his lead guitar work after that single was already put out to the marketplace. And so the, the song you hear on the album is, is, is obviously with Greg adding his guitar. 
And uh, after that session, we knew that Greg had to be part of it. I mean, he fit, he fit in not just uh, musically, but uh, personality wise and so forth. So, uh, so it was, it was a great, it was a great day for us to discover this guy. And, uh, and we didn't know at the time, of course, that uh, he'd be with us for over the next uh, three decades or so. That's pretty rad. Yeah, I think this lineup right here is kind of the Daniel Amos for a good chunk of the rest of your guys' history. Yeah. yeah. So let's go ahead and next um, let's talk about cover art and then we'll cover where we were in our lives when we first discovered this album um so we get a album cover that's reminiscent of the alarma album with all four of you guys on there though reports say um that's not actually all four band members um it's the road manager for the choir well uh leo was uh, our our road manager at the time and uh matter of fact uh, leo played a, a pretty mean uh slide trombone so we when we did new car in, in in concert he would come on stage dressed as uh the ho the uh, announcer for um for the game show he had a big gaudy outfit on you know and uh he would uh, he would make the announcements during the song new car and he played the tr he played the trombone for it. So yeah, what had happened is that, that Rob had gone on tour with another band, and we had to get this thing done. So uh, we uh, we got Leo to stand in for him. We weren't trying to fool anybody, but it was it sort of reminds which which is interesting about Vox, and I'm sure we'll get into it that our sort of sci-fi angle on it. But if you're familiar with the film uh, Plan 9 from Outer Space, it's it's uh, it's called possibly the worst uh, movie of all time. And it stars a really aging, uh, very alcoholic Bella Lugosi. And uh, about halfway through that film, Bella dies. And so the director, Ed Wood, um, gets this um, gets this guy to, to sort of play his part only he has him hold a cape up around his nose and things like that so you can't really see him but everybody can tell it's not Lugosi the guy doesn't look anything like Lugosi so it all kind of you know ties together Leo was our Bella Lugosi for that record you there wonderful I love it yeah. Yeah, and, and I love that movie, actually. I've watched it. And then the movie Ed Wood, I don't know if you've seen that. It's based off of um, that, I believe, as well, um, with Johnny Depp in it. Um, we're going to be talking about a couple movies <laughs> this episode, I have a feeling. Um, but yeah. the artwork, as far as the artwork goes, like, um, yeah, um, the back cover to me is more interesting. I mean, the, the front's total, I mean, when you picked this up, I you kind of knew that this was like another Daniel Amos change up. Like, I mean, it's like you went from country western to you know modern hard rock with um, horrendous discs, and then you did the new wave thing with um, 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 Alarma and whatever that was on Doppelganger, and then you have this <laughs> reggae wave or whatever this album is. Is but just looking at this cover, you knew this album, you knew something was up. 
um, was going to be different. And then on the back, I love how like the, the the robotic foot is like crushing. It's about to crush the band members, and all four are doing something different. You're looking straight ahead. Um, one guy looks like he's on a cell phone now, walking away, which is funny um, since this came out '84. And then one guy's actually looking, and the other guy's like running away. So like, and and we'll talk about this the themes throughout this the album. But I thought that this was a good representation of what's going on now because like no one's communicating, no one's listening to each other, everyone's doing their own thing, and because of it, we're allowing technology to crush us. And so I think that that picture pretty much encapsulates the lyrical content of the album very well. Um, yeah, we went, we was, you know, we were doing something of a sort of a loose commentary on uh, the impact of uh, modern culture and technology on, on, on the individual um, um, and, and, and upon religious faith as well. And of course, we're seeing it in spades now with iPhone and, 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 the, and the whole social media and that sort of thing. So it was prior, it was all prior to that. Um, and, and for the cover, you know, we wanted to do something that was slightly cheesy and slightly in that that more of a 50s style uh, sci fi uh, paradigm uh, with the artwork and, and even with the music itself, which I'm sure we we can we can get into a little bit more as we go. And and I think also that that that. Um, uh, this record, Vox, is more closely related to uh, Alarma in its uh, sort of, you know, minimalistic approach, musical approach, uh, where you have Doppelganger and Fearful Symmetry are sort of more produced, more lush, bigger kinds of uh, records. So you, you have that sort of uh, relationship within the context of these of these four records. And... Um, yeah, it was that 50 sci-fi thing that we were really going after and, the you know, with the foot that you see the illustration of the foot. And then, of course, the whole um, the whole hair points to the sky uh, kind of thing. And we can get into that, I'm sure, uh, concerning the individual songs to kind of cash those things out. But um, that was that was the idea. Pretty, pretty minimalistic type of record. And and. Uh, and we can also get into how that came to be, why that decision was made to go the particular way that we did with the sonics of this record. Very nice. I'm, I'm excited. Um, so a little history for myself. Um, I don't have a lot of personal connection to this album. Um, I remember um, it was probably discovered when I was like 18. I was digging into a lot of deeper beyond the radio music at that time in my life and of course if you research christian music at all like i did you you're going to stumble across daniel amos you're going to stumble across the alarm chronicles and this album's going to pop up um i pulled it up a few times i listened to it and was just kind of like meh um i didn't appreciate um how dated it sound which we'll get into it later. Now I understand the reason why it sounds like that. But at the time, it didn't click with me. And then I remember I also, um, you guys had like a version of this on Bandcamp. So I listened to it a few times on there growing up through my early 20s. Um, but still never quite clicked with me. I thought it was kind of cool, but it didn't register with me what everything was going for until I read through the lyrics and read into the background of the album more. Right. Um, Aaron, how about you? What's what's your history with this? 
Um, so yeah, like I said, back in like 2003 or four ish, I got Mr. Beatner's dream and then just fell in love. So then I just did, um, went backwards. But the, the first backwards purchase I remember now was the Alarmer book set. I got the CD book set. So I got everything at once in that book. So I, I didn't have the original like vinyls until later, which I do have now. Um, and so, um, so I've been listening to this album since like 2005, whatever, um, or four, whatever. And, um, there's, um, I except for one song, which if you've listened to it before, you probably already know which one it is. Um, the only one song in this album really sounds dated to me because I'm a child of the eighties. I was born in 79. So like when I was like nine and like nine or 10 is when I fell in love with music. So we had, you know, like Prince, Madonna, all that 80s stuff. So, um, so this to me sounded like my childhood over again in the early aughts. So, um, and, and if you listen to the radio now, that 80s, the, the 80s sound, Ariana Grande, everybody's doing it. I mean, it, it's still there. So to me, it doesn't really sound dated. It's like, it's the 80s. <laughs> so, um, so I have a, yeah, about a, what's that, like 20 year history with this album. Um, yeah. and so just spoiler alert, I, I'm sorry, you're going to be embarrassed, Terry. This is like my second favorite Daily Amos of all time. So, um, yeah, I, so there's not going to be a lot of negativity from me except for one song, but I, I really I love this song. I mean, that this album is just amazing. <laughs> oh, I, I think I think I think I think musical taste very subjective. I, I, I don't I don't feel like uh, it's negativity. I just think people have uh, like what they like and don't like what they don't like. So um, it's uh, you guys are cool with me. Whatever you whatever you have to say about it. Um, I would make uh, one comment about uh, just just mention something that popped in my head as I was talking about the the the, the chronicles themselves. Um, I think that um, that this record is also sort of an extension of uh, uh, Doppelganger with the song "Youth with the Machine." So you kind of get you kind of that kind of is the gateway to uh, to this particular record, and then you get into um, the whole, like I said, this being inspired by 1950s sci-fi movies, When Worlds Collide, The Incredible Shrinking Man. Uh, you know, there's lyrical references to uh, sci-fi icons like Clatu uh, in The Day the Earth Stood Still, uh, The Alien Robot, um, and, the, and then uh, just apocalyptic end-of-the-world references uh, uh, in songs like Sanctuary and It's Sick and uh, some of these things. So that just gives you a little bit, just sort of trying to reinforce that idea of uh, this being uh, both conceptually, um, sonically, and lyrically as uh, mostly nodding to that whole era of uh, sci-fi uh, film. And I'm curious, Terry, um, do you before we start going into this song by song um do you like have any preamble of like what led up to this album or anything special you want to call about the recording process itself well i think background information i think that's integral to why we why this idea or how this idea of doing a a minimalistic sort of sci-fi record um and its themes how how it was implanted in my mind to even do that and in, in, in order or conceptualize all that. 
So in order to get there, you're going to have to go back in the history of how this thing came to be. Um, we had uh, we had moved on from uh, obviously Maranatha music or, or earlier, and uh, we were at a place at that time where we were we were down to these uh, what eventually wound up being uh, four five members and um, and I had uh, I had worked a little bit with Rob Watson he lived uh, not five minutes away from me in in uh, Newport Beach and. Uh, he had been working on some songs and he asked me to sort of uh, step in and, and help him write some lyrics. And the stuff he played for me was this kind of new wave-ish um, minimal stuff. And, uh, and so we kind of started working together. And, and of course, he had, he had been, uh, you know, he had joined the band Doppelganger, but we were, we were talking about other possible projects. So when we when refuge records kind of picked us up to do a record and we didn't have an incredible uh budget we had an adequate one and uh we started shopping around for studios and uh, we wound up in a really uh pristine i think it was over in whittier or somewhere like that where this really pristine studio that had all the latest equipment and it was immaculate inside comfortable uh, as far as uh, nice furniture and all of that. And the guy that, and they, and, and, and a lot of different records have been done there, including some very popular ones. And so the guy that ran the studio, who was also a producer and engineer, <clears throat> he was really giving us a sales pitch, you know, it was sort of a, almost like a car salesman. And, uh, you know, we were kind of taking this in and, uh, he says, there's a there the phone rings in the other room of course there were no cell phones at the time so he says well excuse me let me take the call so he goes in the other room and, I, and i'm talking to rob and i'm saying what are you feeling about this and rob's saying i have a little high in pressure here to commit ourselves to the studio and i said yeah i don't know if i'm completely comfortable with it so the guy comes back in the guy comes back in after the phone call he's got this sort of strange look on his face um like he he'd gotten some bad news or something we said well what's up he said well I'll tell you guys what happened. He said, you know, I, I was debating whether to tell you or not, but I just got a call from one from a church pastor in the area that you're familiar with. I won't mention who it is. Uh, he, he called and told me that he knew that we were in his studio and that um, that he recommended that we ha that, that this guy, this producer owner have nothing to do with us. <clears throat> and so we said, you know, obviously, what what's going on? He goes, well, the guy told me that uh, before your shows, you have satanic rituals in which you drink blood. And uh, I'm waiting for the guy to, to kind of chuckle about <laughs> it, right? That's hilarious. <laughs> but he's not. He's not chuckling about it at all. He's looking at us like, can you explain yourselves to me? Is Is any part of this true? And uh, of course, we laughed about it, and uh, Rob and I did anyway. And uh, obviously, told him, "No, it's not true." I mean, you know, there's a lot of things, controversy in the band, and so people come up with wild stories and so forth and so on. But anyway, we left that studio on the way home, and I said, "That's we're not going to do. We're not going to do our record there." I said, first of all, this guy's 
swallowed the suspicion that we're up to uh, satanic shenanigans, you know. And uh, secondly, it's just too pristine. It's too nice. He's, he says, well, you know what? I have a friend named Doug Doyle. He's got a little garage studio in Costa Mesa. And he said, it's only, uh, it's only eight tracks. I go, eight tracks? He goes, yeah. He says, but I think we should just go over there and check it out. So a couple of days later, we go over there and we, we go inside. And it's funky. I mean, it's got an old threadbare couch in there. The rugs are dirty. You can smell cigarette smoke and other odors. Um, he's got a, ref- a little refrigerator for storing, you know, sandwiches and, and soft drinks, but he's located it above the toilet, which is, you know, not exactly appetizing when you go to eat your tuna sandwich, you know? So, so, you know, this place is really funky and it's, ne- you know, it's, it's a garage attached to his house. He lives next door and, uh, he's, He's uh, he's got this uh, he's got this eight track um, that um, that's sort of like it looks like a refrigerator. It looks like this, this sort of mad scientist refrigerator with knobs on it. It's got these giant uh, knobs and 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 controls on it and and meters and uh, it. It looked like, like I said, it looked like some sort of sci-fi thing. And I was imagining, you know, for the sessions that, that Doug would come in wearing a, you know, a lab coat or something. And, and, and so once he played us some uh, stuff and I said, well, how do you overcome? What if we want to do more than eight tracks? You know, he says, well, then we're going to have to do what they call ping ponging and putting uh, certain stuff on uh, on one track and 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 putting uh, you know ping pong it over to, to another track or this and that we might have to fill one track with more than one so I presented this sort of um, you know challenge and recording um, but I was I was thinking this is a really wild idea going from a really extravagant studio with everything that you would need at your fingertips to this sort of makeshift almost sci-fi situation really funky and uh and we're it's going to present challenges but i thought this is a really would be an adventure if we do this thing and i think right at that point in time um the idea the whole sci-fi um idea came 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 into my head and I think that in turn uh, affected uh, the songwriting on this record, which uh, we're going to talk a little bit of, bit about. But uh, that's where it began, right there. Oh, that's awesome! Wow, uh, nobody wants toilet tuna sandwiches, that's for sure. Um, so, so we'll go ahead and um, get into um, the first track. But before I, we do that. Um, on the, the vinyl version of the record, at the end of all the credits and everything, there's a, um, a quote from um, William, Blake, William Blake, which we'll talk about, obviously. Um, but I, the quote is from the book Apocalypse by Imagination. And I think that's a really apt. That, that could have been even this album, Apocalypse by Imagination, because all these things that man's created, technology, social media, all this stuff, is what's ultimately going to lead, you know, weapons of mass destruction. It's ultimately going to lead to the end of humanity so it, we're gonna we're gonna be imagined into the apocalypse 
So I think that's really cool. That um, is a great title. I love that title. <laughs> that would have been very, very appropriate. So and originally, originally, uh, originally the the um, uh, the album uh, was not uh, Vox Humana, um, Vox Machina, I think it was. And uh, Rob told me about a setting on on an organ that it was Vox Humana, and I thought, well, that's the sort of less obvious uh, title. Um, let's go with that. And that's how that was born. Voice Robotica, right? Wasn't it Voice Robotica? Voice it was. Robotica. It was. So I read an interview where it was yeah. Vox Robotica, is what you call yeah, it. Yeah, interview Vox prior to it. Vox Robotica. Yeah. Exactly. yeah. Which I'm glad, and I have a note about that later in the song. So I'm I'm glad that you, you went with Vatsuman. That was the right call. <laughs> All right. So the first song we have is Travelogue. Um, what a great cacophony of sound to start off. The, and I mentioned earlier, like from so um, with the album art, you know this is going to be different. But this intro lets the listener know that here we go again. Dan Williams is changing it up. Um, the percussion at the beginning with the loops, the sense, um, you know that the guitarist—it's going to be. This is going to be guitars, but this is not going to be the the central driving force on this album. Um, some call this a sense on this album, and like Sam mentioned, that it sounds dated. Um, but I don't think, especially this one, I don't think it sounds dated at all. Um, um, lots of bands, and I mentioned you know earlier, you know people today are still using so many sounds. I love the effects on the vocals throughout. You know, like um, um, like doing the chorus in here much, and here in the blue light of my, you know, there's like little vocal effects I really like. Um, the guitar doing the chorus sounds like a buzz saw, and I love it. Um, during the bridge, we hear there's a lot of you know just the breakdown. There's a lot of voices and stuff, and you can hear a new car sample from Doppelganger, and I'm like, oh, you know, I I heard that for the first time actually when we're researching this for the album because um, listening to it on headphones, um, the vinyl headphones really helps. So I I never noticed that before. Um, and so I think that's a nice connection. Um, to, you know, and overall, like how Ghost of the Heart ends, and you use that the loop into um backwards on doppelganger and now you're using new car from doppelganger to luke so i just think i like how you um if you're paying and that's what i love the, the, about this band and the, especially this, this this series is that the casual listener is fine it's great music clearly but then if you're really like you're a nerd for this band you you give all these things like putting the words backwards for the double then that new car near sam um that little sample just if you're really immersed it's like a little a lot of cool things that you can pick up um and then um the, the line this channel rides out to my private shore my boat's magic couch on a remote control confused i now consult my jungle guide departures time bets bets and four stars that shine and for the young people out there who don't know what a tv guide is i think that's what jungle guide is and um so a tv guide was like a little small mini like booklet or like a magazine type thing where you would get once a month and it would tell you what was on tv because there was like three channels and there was no stream and so if you wanted to know what was coming on um you had to get a tv guide to know what's going on so you could plan your day around that and i think that line is a wonderful way to say i watch tv and that's what i love about um, you know there's the well, like, 
that's a very poetic way to say I watch TV. <laughs> well, this is a, this is a couch potato song. This is a song about a couch potato. I think, yeah. I think my I think my I think my initial um, uh, sort of mental image of where I was going to go with this song was my dad was always a TV lover, and I could see him you know, on his recliner in the blue light of the TV, you know, <laughs> and making you know commentary you know political statements or you know or watching or or you know back in the day when you could watch uh, the vietnam war on prime time and prime time um you know and, and 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 you know solving my dad solving all the issues of the world you know as he as he kicked back on his ca- in, in his in his couch or in his his uh, armchair or whatever so that was sort of the picture that I had. And of course, uh, you know, I can have those tendencies too to be that same kind of couch potato if I don't watch out. So travel log is, um, and and also there's an allusion here to uh, to uh, religious programming as well when he talks about um, uh, where a black robed man now greets me in these southern skies. To him I make conf- com- uh, confession. For me, he takes collection, and so uh-huh. there's, a, there's a little bit of that thrown in there as well. I took that completely wrong. I thought that was Jesus, but <laughs> <laughs> okay, that makes me ah. <laughs> see communication, man. It's a problem. Um, yeah, so you, know, you see, you, the key there that you probably missed said southern sky. Yeah, I did. Man, I'm not the brightest, but I give this song four stars. This is um, out of five. This is a strong start. It's my fifth favorite song on the album. And so, you know, so this is my fifth favorite and it's still four stars. Just hold on. What do you think, Sam? <laughs> so travel log. Um, well, Sam doesn't right. like this record. So what's he going to say? <laughs> oh, no, I never said that. I said I didn't understand it when I was 18. Ah, okay. Okay. I mean, gotcha. can you name gotcha. any eighteen-year-old who gets it? <laughs> um, no, you're you're dumb when you're eighteen. He's absolutely. <laughs> <laughs> so, um, I do appreciate, and me and Aaron talk about it all the time on this podcast how you guys were almost prophetic in so many of your lyrics, and hey, let's talk about addiction to TV, but really addiction to to entertainment and technology um four years before we're just constantly never away from technology and shows and streaming whatever right like um i heard one person say the the smartphone changed the way everyone used the bathroom right um and so here we are talking about that 40 years ahead of time and yeah. I, it's a song essentially about watching TV till you die. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, I like that the verses remind me of a sitcom intro. I don't know if you did that on purpose, but I, I, I like listening to like uh, sitcom theme songs. They, I, I don't know. I find them a lot of fun. And the verses remind me so much of a sitcom intro. And it's just, it's all very 80s. But I, now I believe in a good way. Um, I know it wasn't meant to be retro sounding because it was present in 1984, but this whole entire album, and I'll talk about it more later, sounds like a love letter to the eighties written during the eighties. And I kind of love it. Um, now that I've grown older and I've uh, appreciated that era of music more. So 
I really like that this song is a great introduction to the themes of technology that we're going to deal with throughout the rest of this album. Great. I like it. Terry, any, Terry, any other comments on this song before we move on? Well, I know that this is also a song that was um, uh, one of the highlights of our live show uh, after we took this uh, out, out into the world uh, to do live performances. People seem to really love it, so it's one of it's one of my favorite songs on the record. I, I like it starting the record kind of off with a bang and sets the tone and establishes the uh, thematics of the of what is to follow. Especially that intro, I think that's like the best setup for this album. <laughs> right. So next, let's talk about possibly one of my favorite songs um i can't say for sure um it's maybe my top three it's the 80s so where's our rocket packs oh yeah and you don't know how many times people on facebook uh, post pictures of guys with rocket packs on that are directed to the daniel amos group you know <laughs> nice. we, we when we when we did our show up at sims in san francisco after this uh, record was released um the, the show was packed out but before the show we were out front just kind of mingling with the crowd out there and there were maybe 15 20 people who constructed their own rocket packs to wear to the show out of cardboard and aluminum foil and you know they made helmets and the whole thing and it was just lovely you know it was so it was such such a such a great uh, coming together of people that really appreciated what we were trying to do and even their own personal cheesiness and the approach to you know concert going i'm not gonna i'm not gonna dress up i'm gonna come in a rocket pack and a helmet so it was really really a cool thing uh Oh man, that makes me wish um, the rocket pack like imagery would have stuck with you guys like forever. You guys would just be the group that has rocket packs and everything, just because that'd be hilarious. Yeah, but we named the band Rocket Pack. But anyway, <laughs> right? Yeah. yeah. Um. So I love that drum machine intro. Um. I'm curious to hear after Aaron gets done talking about this, how much you guys use drum machines versus actual drums on this, and. I also really love those robo vocals. Um, they sound so dated, but in a charming way. And then, you know, we had Daft Punk happen 10 years ago. So now it doesn't sound dated at all. Um, well, that's the thing about dated. If, if it's, if it's if the band or people that you associate, associate with old guys, then it's dated. But, you know, if somebody, if, if some young guys came out and put this record out today, we'd say, oh, you know, yeah, they're borrowing from the past, but it's cutting edge or whatever. So there's, that's that's part of the, I think that's part of the psychology of this dated thing. But I also think there's a, I think you're, as you're sort of pointing out here, there's a conscious effort to sort of date the thing, to date this stuff. And, and one of the ways that we really did it extremely on this particular song course we used a vocoder we used uh, sim drums which were synthesized drums that we vowed we would never again use because we didn't like the sound of them that much we we knew that they were not something that we we're going to stick with that it was just sort of a passing fad uh, to get those sorts of drums and um 
but we wanted to, we made a deliberate choice to use those on the, on the record. And, uh, uh, so anyway, uh, what, what, what the, the strange part of this recording is that you hear is the vocal itself, which is reminiscent of, you know, we're going past, uh, old 50s sci-fi although that's part of the song too um but we're actually reaching into a real distant past which is this sort of rudy valley vaudevillian uh lead vocal you know the squeezed radio voice that you would hear i don't know back in the 20s or 30s or something and so you're getting a lot of sort of it conjures up a lot of contrasting sorts of images as you listen to the song and you kind of go what era exactly am i in here you know it's that kind of that kind of weirdness well i personally love it um i love the references to the 50 sci-fi movies um because here's what i find so cool so it's a whole entire aesthetic now called astropunk where you know or z rust where everything that we thought was futuristic in the 50s now looks outdated and not exactly um, futuristic exactly. at all. And this reminds me a lot of, um, I don't know if you've ever heard the Pager Line album called Control. I have. But part of the theme of that album is they're in the distant future, but they still can't make human connections and still have all the same sins. Um, and I think that's what this song lays out so well is hey, um, you know, no matter how much we think we're progressing, we still got to deal with the same sin. We still got to deal with the same problems. Um, technology is great, but it's not getting us as far ahead as we all like to think. And well, anything well, we think is big now. <laughs> especially especially now where, you know, I've just, I have described it. I'm, I, I borrowed it, but I described you know, uh, iPhone use is looking like little old ladies playing bingo. And, you know, everybody's heads down looking at these screens. And you, I mean, the, this is, this has become kind of an acute problem now. And then with the, with the course, with the coronavirus and the masking and, you know, the not seeing people's faces, we had sort of further dehumanization uh but uh, uh, both you know viral and and then and then of course with the with with all of the of uh, computers and social media and iPhones things like that so I, I think this song is uh, particularly relevant today I couldn't agree more so yeah this might be one of my top five favorite songs in this album Aaron what do you got I also love the robotic vocals. Are they cheesy? Yes. Do I love them? That's a that's a vocoder. Oh yeah. It's, a vo it's called a vocoder. Yeah. And I and love it was them. being yeah, I was being you heard it now and then, you know. I I, I never liked it, but uh, to get that robotic, I never liked it when I heard it on other artists stuff, but but to get that sort of robotic sound in the vocal and that's Rob uh, doing that by the way. Um, oh. that, that was, that was a, a good way to go, uh, to get that mechanical sort of sounding voice. 
Ronnie Martin uses the vocoder a lot. I mean, not a lot, but uses it very well when he does use it on, for Majority Electric. Um, so yeah, I'm a huge fan of that. Um, I I love how um, your vocals um, switch from um, spoken um, to switch to spoken during the, the bridge and at the end of the song. And it lends some humanity to the, this tech dominant song because the vocoder, like you said, makes it sound robotic. But the, you know, we're still so far from love, so very far from love. He's saying that in like more of a human voice, and I think that was really great because the um, the lyrics in the the the, the verse. They talk about the lack of social progress, how humanity is still struggling to commu communicate with each other on a basic human level. Um, and then, you you know, you even reference the robot twice in a song to drive home the point that we're looking at technology to improve our communication. But it doesn't always work like with social media, um, text messaging, you know, all these things. Some, we, communication still gets jumbled and messed up. Um, yeah, it's a, a two-edged sword, yeah. Yeah, exactly. And then the course just points to superficial advancements with, you know, cars, dot tires, robots, robot vacuums, which we do have Roombas. So you again, prophetic, <laughs> you nailed it. give yourself, give yourself a balance back. Um, and then the line about a female and not having a female um, 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 president. I know it's not a political podcast, but hey, we got to review what the guys put out. And so I'm sure back in the 80s, somebody, especially in Christ, the Christian community, just humoring the idea of a woman president probably ruffled some feathers because a few years ago it ruffled a lot of feathers here. So I just yeah. really think that that um, um, that that's really cool and that we still haven't got that. And so and so even so, like all these things except for the Roomba, <laughs> we're looking for like being. So we 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 can't love each other. We don't have robot. We don't have flying cars. We don't have all these things. And um, and so it's it's just a yearn a song of yearning. Um, and I think in normally like in Christian music, like we yearn, like the there'll be a worship song about yearning for God. But yeah, we do do that. But as humans, we yearn for connection as well with humans. And yeah, absolutely. It, and it doesn't always happen. And technology's double-edged sword. Sometimes it helps and sometimes it hurts. And I think that this song did a great job of like commun like communicating that um, very well. Four stars, um, love it. I appreciate it. Good insight, you guys. All right, Sam. Um, anything else before on Rocket Packs before we go um, to the next song, Terry? I don't think so. I think we covered it pretty well. All right, Sam, what do you think about Home uh, home Permanent? All right, so I'm torn on this song. Um, <laughs> I don't generally... Good. Sam, like, make me lose my mind. Come on now. <laughs> okay, so here's the deal. Um, I'm not a big fan of like the tropical island sound. Um, I guess Calypso would be technically what it's called. It doesn't. Oh, really? Okay. Anyway, go but ahead. sorry. Didn't mean generally, know. like I'm not saying like there's there is you know um, ten percent of anything is good, right? Um, so. There's always something good out there. Um, it just doesn't all usually strike me as my favorite sound. However, with that said, what I usually don't like about it is it always sounds like it reminds me of like fake plastic Hawaiian vacations. You know, the the tourist idea of a tropical island um, where everything is just manufactured and kind of fake. And this actually works perfectly for the theme of the song because it's a song about shallow religion. And as far as I can tell, hair perm kits. And <laughs> I love the idea of it's all fake, right? It's 
it's all fake and this uh this relaxing uh, happy music that we're trying to feed you it's purposely sounding kind of fake and plastic because that's what all this crap that you're feeding yourself is rather it be you know shallow religion or um you know making a parallel between that and hair perm kids to give yourself a perm um and oh my goodness we just we had no idea 10 years later how much more commercialized christianity would get in the 90s um and it just yeah i appreciate so much about that so i don't love the sound of it but it has a purpose and i do love that purpose terry before you go terry before you go let me just jump in here all right (laughs) yeah so Okay, so this is my second favorite song in this album, and I get what you're saying, and I typically, it has a very strong reggae sound, and I'm not a big reggae fan, and if you if you don't like that tropical sound, um, do not get the Lost Dogs, Alan Dreams album, um, Sam, because you're going to hate it. <laughs> oh, no, 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 I hate it. Don't, you don't, you, you don't want to, you don't want to listen to that. What? I love that. I listen to that. Oh, my gosh, well, I love listen, that. Listen, let, me, let me qualify it. We did it as sort of a Oh, well, it was obviously a one-off. I don't want to get sidetracked here. Obviously a one-off. It was also that we were being offered money to do it, which was helpful for everybody. And uh, it was in a, it was for a series of records being done that were, there was, you know, uh, it was very popular at the time to do sort of mood music type stuff. And we wanted to create something for um, really more for for people that were going on, you know, going on vac- families on vacation and give them a sort of a, a soundtrack for their vacation. And you would be surprised. Uh, older people really love this record. They put it on at summertime and listen to it all day long. And they can dream that they're in the tropical islands if they're not in the tropical islands. So it served its purpose. But anyway, go ahead. I didn't, I didn't mean to. Yeah, no, no problem. Um, I take it to the beach with me all the time. So I love That's it. I got cool. an old That's person. Cool. I like it. I like it. <laughs> so I call this music reggae wave. It's like new wave reggae mixed together. And I hear what you're saying, Sam, about the fake happiness. But I think that it's the music. It does a good job of satirizing what you're talking about. Yeah, because it's, it's all fake. The religion's fake. The, the packaging's fake. Half the people who are claiming to be pastors are fake. Well, not half, but, you know, some of you know, so it's all fake. And so the song is trying to, you know, um, and lyrically, it does a good job of like making some pretty vacationy, happy music. But underneath, you know, just like the underneath the commercialism of Christianity, it's it's macabre. Like it's it's very disturbing because here you are having people that are basically reducing God into a a, a market pitch or like a, a commodity to be owned, and that like selling a savior is like so d- disgusting and repulsive. And so, so you have the happy music, but underneath the, the lyrics, you kind of get it. Um, the xylophone is that a xylophone or is that a keyboard making that like that wind sound in the background? Um, yeah, that's probably a keyboard, I'm sure it was. Okay. It's probably right some Rob did, yeah. Okay, well, this out this song is the perfect time capsule for 80s new wave music. Um, um, the un um, the unsafe father line is like the best part of this song because the way um Terry sings my unsafe father and the music breaks down, it's like you know, like it's like the perfect <laughs> it's my favorite part of the song. I love it. This song should have been a hit. It's better than anything, any new wave artist. It's better than anything talking heads or who else? I can't even think of those other bands. But yeah, this song could have been, I don't understand why this wasn't a hit. Um, and then the line, what I believe in is my fashion. This opening line kind of um 
encapsulates what this song's about. The narrator's confessing that he has embraced the commercialization of Christ Christianity as a faith. What I believe in is my fashion. And so it's, the commercialization has now become his guide as evidenced by the chocolate Bibles, the TV station that he later buys in the song. All these are acts of faith where he's using materialism to communicate a spiritual message. And just like in the previous songs and for the next couple Daniel Amos albums, ineffective communication is a recurring theme. You can't teach people about God with man-made trinkets. And that's what this, this the person in the song and other songs are doing. The song is a con condemnation of commercialism, um, and it's a psalm for true believers and uh, like Christians um, who long for home, which is impossible to get um, until, you know, you know, get there. But so on one hand, you're condemning Christian, the commercialization and ineffectiveness of it. But at the same time, the home permanent, you're giving hope to Christians that, you know, this fakeness is going to be gone and you'll get to your true home one day. And I don't know how you do that in one song lyrically, but you do. <laughs> five stars. This song's perfect. Five out of five for me. I love it. <laughs> and if I may interject really quick, all your ranting, Aaron, reminds me of my favorite quote by Jars of Clay when Dan Hazeltine said, when Christianity is applied to anything other than a faith, it's a marketing tactic. Yes, yes. <laughs> yeah, well, there's also, this is perfect. There's also an element of marketing tactic of our personal virtue in, in the Christian community as well, where these sort of outward signs, these, uh, you know, the hair points of the sky, as an example, or my license plate or whatever. It's to, it's a signal. Um, a lot of times it's not just that you're trying to be a supposed witness to the world through all the trinkets and uh, the bumper stickers and that sort of thing but you're also signaling to your fellow christians that i'm on fire for god and that i'm 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 full out for him and that, that and here's how it's reflected and this song is sort of pointing to the fact it's we're not looking at sort of the the fruit of what ought to be uh reflected which is your your love for your neighbor and and so forth and so on but it's it's in these sort of outward um uh almost you know you hear the the term virtue signaling a lot today, but there is a certain degree of virtue signaling in, in involved uh, in this song and in the, and in the community at large, there were, there, there, the, the, the spin from sin top that I mentioned in here, that that's an actual trinket I saw in a Christian bookstore. Um, I've chocolate, yeah. I've the chocolate <laughs> Bible, the chocolate Bible uh, is a, is a real thing. I remember in, 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 in a concert, uh, we I was introducing this song, and uh, you know, talking about you know Christian T-shirts, you know, um, such as this "Bloods for You," commandeering the sort of um, you know these advertising slogans and and that sort of thing. And I said, and I mentioned something about chocolate Bibles, and what I did about a quarter of the audience applauded the idea of a chocolate Bible. So they were even missing in my explaining the song. They were they were missing the satirical point of it, or or, or what we were or skewing in in all of this, and 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 the point that that you know I had to explain more carefully what the song was about. That it was not uh, supportive of this idea of this subculture that's constantly um, sort of uh, putting out this this propaganda 
in in uh, in ways that are uh, embarrassing to the the Christian faith. I had to I had to really go into detail and say it's it's something we should uh, we should avoid. Nice. I uh, so um, I will say before we move on to the next song, this is one of those things that I always have torn feelings about because I think me even more so than like Aaron or you, Terry, I grew, I was like that perfect age to grow up in that Christian subculture. So like a lot of like music, especially is stuff I love from that. And I, I've kind of came to the conclusion in recent years that it's, um, you know, a little bit of good can come out of anything, even a a big cluster mess. (laughs) Like, this uh, marketing Christian subculture thing. Yeah. No, I grew up in the best time as a Christian, the mid nineties when tooth and nail records and you had bulletproof and uh, all those back records, which the lost dogs were on. Um, yeah. Like there was a lot of great Christian music that wasn't commercialized at all. And like, so yeah, a lot of good did come out. It could still come from Christianity, but a lot of bad too. <laughs> So that takes us to It's Sick. You want to go, Sam, or you want me to go? Tell me what you think of It's Sick, Aaron. It's the best song on the album. That's what I think of. It's my favorite song. It's not even close. Um, um, I love the tones of the guitars in this song. Um, I don't, that is like a delay or whatever, whirly effect. Um, that, that's whoever, whoever idea that was, great, great decision. I love how the drum. There's a drum machine that doesn't change throughout the song. There's other percussion too, but there's like one drum beat and it doesn't change up at all. Um, the extra percussion during the chorus is delightful. The feedback solo at one thirteen, great touch. I love how all the four songs are kind of upbeat, but they sound different. They don't sound. They sound unlike. I mean, um, in like a lot of new wave bands, you know. Songs start sounding the same, so um, they're similar, but you can tell they're different. It doesn't get, doesn't sound redundant at all. I like to call this song the Terry Has No Chill song. Um, lyrically, this is probably my favorite Daniel Amos song, and I'll get into why. First, the song starts with um, suffering Christians in the, um, Russia who in the 70s and 80s were just getting massacred, and um, the church in America just did very little, if anything, to help with that. Um, and then, of course, I'm a black man as a black man witnessing the firsthand emptiness and the apathy that the the and the callousness of the white evangelicals um, church, because I grew up in the church. I would see that daily examples of soul crushing. And like when you go back to the um, civil rights movement, how the church was slow to get a more than that. And today with the Black Lives Matter, a lot of churches are slow for that, too. And it's just like a continual recurring recurring theme in the christian church that they're so apathetic to actual suffering they're so concerned about chocolate bibles and their hair point to the sky and going to the right church or the right small group that there's people literally suffering and dying all around them overseas and in their own churches and they don't give any f's about it and so um yeah so as a, um as a as, yeah as a black man like i like when i had because it really spoke to me, and I think that's when I really fell in love with um, your music, Terry's, because it felt like uh, not many Christians understood me, um, but you did. And, you know, the lines about the black man on the score, and then you talk about the KKK and how that was the church. A lot of those were quote-unquote Christians. And, like, I would like, I would go to church, right? So 
um, the church I went to, the Baptist church, I was like the only like black guy for like a while, the youth group. And then well, I missed a week one day. Right. And then like, oh, man, you should have been here last week. Daryl's great. You're going to love Daryl. I'm like, all right, whatever, Daryl. So the next week um, I meet Daryl. Daryl's black. So assume because we're black, we're going to get along. <laughs> he was in, he was he was in the rap music. I was in the prints. He was in the cars. I could care about. Was, we, had nothing in common. we had nothing in common. And so like but even stuff like that, like that's a small thing. But but um, but stuff like that would happen. I would get the oh, you speak so well for a black person from like church members and stuff like that. And so this song to me just really spoke to me. And I was like, thank you. I appreciate this. At least one white Christian gets it. Five stars. Love this song. <laughs> Uh, that's, that's, that's profound, man. That's it's touching. Thank you for thank you for sharing that. Yeah, thank you. Um, I'll say this song is probably the catchiest. Like I, so one of my complaints about Doppelganger was I can't remember the music that easily unless I'm sitting down actively listening to it, which wasn't necessarily a bad thing. It just the way that music worked with my brain. This song gets stuck in my head. It is so catchy um it hits all the perfect notes of a pop song especially 80s new wave like this goes toe to toe with you know flock of seagulls or talking heads or you know pick your 80s new wave band um i feel like this song does go toe to toe with any of that and oh my goodness does this song hit me hard um me and one of my friends were talking the other day about you know how people always like oh i'm we're so persecuted as white christians in america um white male christians whatever and we were both like nah nah and every time uh, it does a democrat gets an office or christianity isn't currently the most popular thing in, in media or whatever oh i'm so persecuted and it makes me want to slap someone in the face every time and so this song just hits me right there. I'm like, dude, I, I'm behind you. It makes you sick. A little bit, yeah. <laughs> yeah. All right, Terry, tell us what you got. I appreciate it. Well, I, I mean, I think you guys have said it all. I mean, I add very little to that. Um, um, just as a side note, as far as uh, influence on that song, yeah, there were. You know, there's a lot of stuff we're uh, listening to, and um, I'm always drawing on our, you know, on the past, even beyond the new wave movement and stuff like that. But um, the Wall of Voodoo had a song, Mexican Radio, that um, uh, I liked the guy's uh, vocal approach to it, especially. So I I got a little bit of that um, that tonality into my uh, into my vocal. Um, my vocal thing um, and again I'm with you guys I um, this is um, I like a lot I still love a lot of this record uh, fans um, you tend to have uh, you know the, the fans of the band like all the records for different reasons but uh, two records that usually come up are um, motorcycle and it's sick it's not to say i mean and uh, vox Humana. it's not to say those are the two best records but um those uh, those those records are always kind of coming up in fan comments i i'm not sure what to to uh, extrapolate from that but uh but um 
it's sick is uh is a song that's it's mentioned quite a bit so uh, i'm pretty proud of it and uh, and it is very very catchy you get that thing in your head you're probably going to go to bed with it you're not wrong. I have many a night. I, I many nights gone to sleep with it in my head. <laughs> <laughs> All right, so let's uh, move on to the next song. I'll, I'll leave this one off. Um, William Blake. So, um, sadly, I am not up in my poetry. It's something I am uh, have kind of started taking to this year, reading more poetry. But I'm not. It's one of those things that. I think it's the act of reading poetry. It doesn't click in my head. Um, I have to read it out loud for my brain to get what I'm reading because um, I'm so used to listening to music. Is what I think it is. You know, music is the modern version of poetry. So we have a song that's a very obvious ode to the poet William Blake. Um, I find the, the background beat of this very interesting loop. It's just like a loop to use throughout the song. And what I appreciate most is how dreamy and um, poetic the song feels. Um, I don't, I'm not intensely familiar with this poet. I don't feel like I'm getting as much out of the song as I could, but I appreciate the uh, kind of poetic dreaminess to the song just carrying me through. And um, Aaron and Terry, you guys are going to tell me all about what I'm missing in the song i'm sure yeah, yeah um um i i before this song was released i mean before i got this up i knew who william blake was i had like a collection of his poems and um and i happen to love poetry and i write it and i think it's pretty good <laughs> I, I'm, I'm with you sam i like the slow building um intro in the song it's perfect for the song man that lead rhythm guitar throughout is steady and banging i love it there's so many sound effects. And when you mentioned, you say it's a minimal, like a, this album was a minimalist album. Like I, that, that didn't make sense in my head. Cause I hear like all types of stuff going on. So, um, and yeah. And so throughout this song, there's so many sound effects. There's synth lines in the background that really adds audio color to an already lyrically colorful song because it is poetry. These lyrics, I mean, literally borrowed from some of um, Blake and some other people. Um, an example of this, like um, the the audio, like uh, the synths lines, is like at two minutes and twenty seconds. There's a key a keyboard swell that is breathtaking. The ominous breakdown at three minutes and thirty four seconds is stellar. It's amazing. The outro, the background vocals is eerie. It is amazing. Um, and again, the breakdown of communication. Um, so William Blake. Um, probably um he 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 was a visionary type of poet um he probably was schizophrenic i think uh, stuff i read and you know looking at the symptoms you know in the 1700s nobody knew what schizophrenia was oh yeah william blake was 17 a poet from the 1700s sam in case you didn't know that and um and I, I i really think this is interesting because with his poetry and everything he was either having schizophrenic visions because they're very vivid when you listen read his stuff is very vivid and, and and lucid and so he was either having a religious experience or um a psychotic um episode and that's the and here again he's communicating and what's the motivation what's he trying to do is he crazy or is he having a religious experience so what's the difference between a psychotic experience and a religious experience i don't know <laughs> and of course <laughs> maybe, the songs maybe both. Yeah, yeah, probably both. And um, 
and the song's about dying again, um, like travel log, um, with the references talking about going to heaven with the lamb, Jesus, I'm assuming, unless I got that wrong. I didn't see any Southern skies, so maybe I think I'm right. Um, <laughs> this is my fourth favorite song in this album. Five stars as well. I love it. It's a very moody, you're right, Sam. It's very moody, and, like, it's just so vivid. And, like, you, when you listen to it, you can, like, I don't know. I, I feel like I'm transported back to 1700s in some meadow, like, l- listening to, like, you know, talking to William Blake is great. <laughs> yeah, that's great. Well, you know, I, 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 I think that knowing about poetry or about Blake is, in some sense, superfluous to... Uh, enjoying the song in that the uh, the I, I I think I think the uh, creativeness of the song this this sort of um, uh, ethereal sounds and all of that are enough to sort of at least <clears throat> bring the listener in and and then if you don't know anything about Blake then it's intriguing who this who this person is who this person is that we're referring to and blake was you know a visionary he was very uh, ant- uh he was um, hated the organized church sometimes he said things that were very uh and he, he did a lot of other things besides poetry you know he's a painter and so forth but um uh he uh he sometimes said very, uh, very sort of orthodox things in terms of his theology. And other times he was so far outside that uh, people said, you know, he's got to be mad. He's a heretic or whatever. Um, and even C.S. Lewis uh, talk, wrote uh, a book to counter Blake's idea of the marriage of heaven and hell. Uh, he, uh, C.S. Lewis wrote The Great Divorce. And he said something about Blake. He called him a great man. He said, but um, I'm not sure if I even understand what he's what he's trying to say. So you're in good company. I think the idea was to create this really intriguing track um, in which uh, this character that, that you might not know anything about um, might get you to kind of check it out. And and as a matter of fact, down through the years, I've, I've had so many people contact me to say, yeah, you turn me on to Blake. And it's funny because I'm not like a, a, a super Blake uh, enthusiast, much less a scholar or something like that. Um, so it, it it so there's been sort of a um, attribution to me attributing sort of more more to the idea that I wrote a song about Blake and therefore it must mean that I'm you know super into all of Blake's stuff. Uh, I was intrigued by the man, knew enough about him, read it, read some of his poetry, and I thought, this is a, I want to do an intriguing song, um, and uh, I'll put this guy as, a, as the as the main character in this thing. Uh, uh-oh. Sorry. You hearing me? You still hearing me? Yeah, we got you. Okay. Somebody was trying to call me. Anyway, um, so, uh, but the interesting thing about uh, on this is that when we were in the studio, <clears throat> I wanted a kind of different tonality on my vocal that um, uh, couldn't quite be achieved by using my natural voice. So I had Doug speed the tape up slightly. And that's why you get this sort of vocal quality that you don't ordinarily hear in my vocals. Um, uh-huh. uh, okay. Yeah. <laughs> and then it was also during that time that Doug, the engineer, 
inadvertently uh, had uh, put on the uh, played the drum tracks back backwards and i and i heard i go i love it let's let's keep that so that's what you're hearing you're hearing back backward drums on it and um yeah so so there were there were little that was a fun part about working in the studio that we were limited um uh, you know in and you didn't have 24 tracks to choose from you had eight so uh, it was fun uh, in 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 meeting those challenges to sort of stumble sometimes into things that uh, you didn't have planned in the first place and just be kind of spontaneous about it and go well that was a mistake but that actually works so um, and a lot of the the guitar you're hearing on that stuff is is Tim Chandler which was really great to hear Tim getting off his bass and playing some of the guitar parts and uh, and I think that's kind of I, I think that's another thing that's unique about a lot of Vox is that you have these straight ahead synths, but then you have these sort of uh, sometimes insane little guitar lines that uh, don't really, um, that aren't necessarily considered uh, uh, compatible with, uh, with, a, with the synth sound. So that was part, part of, the, part of the, uh, the sonics of the thing too. I love it, yes. Um... All right, so let's go ahead and move right along into Aaron's favorite track, and he's going to tell us let, all about it. Dance let me just, let's just Let's just do it. Let me get it out the way. I hate this song. Uh, this is my least favorite song of this album. This is like the only Dan Lehman song I skip, I think. Probably, yeah. The only time I listen to this song is, is if it's on vinyl, because vinyl's sacred. You don't. You have to listen to the whole thing. Um <laughs> <laughs> I consider this to be, I mean, you need a bathroom break too. So <laughs> I consider this to be a Swirl and Eddie song, um, which I do like the Swirl and Eddie's, but we'll talk about years from now probably. But this is a welcome change to the first five songs because um, all, the, all the first songs, except for um, William Blake, um, are upbeat. Lyrically, they're bummers. <laughs> so the silliness of this music kind of gives you a brief reprieve from the hellscape created by consumers Christian and the and the inability for men to communicate with each other in a loving manner. Until you listen to the words, you see the songs about dancing a party because death is Im imminent via nuclear attack. So this song's kind of a bummer too. Um, but like Prince said in 1999, life's just a party and parties weren't meant to last. I consider this the sister to Neverland Ball, Neverland Ballroom, which is the next album. Two stars. That's all I can say about this. Take it, Sam. <laughs> all right. So story time. Um, I was listening to this song, this album. My my wife loves the Grease soundtrack. So um, I, I played it for her. I'm like, babe, listen to this. And she usually doesn't like uh, my type of music like Daniel Amos because it's she doesn't do the indie underground thing. It has to be pop or bust for her. Mm -hmm. And so uh, I'm like, listen to this, baby. It kind of sounds like the Grease soundtrack. And so we listen to it. She's like, okay, yeah, I kind of hear it. And then it, I let it keep playing. And two minutes in, she goes, oh, you're not going to play the song again, are you? I'm like, what do you mean? It never stopped playing. And she's, what? I thought you were just kept on repeating it over and over again to torment me. <laughs> So okay. yeah. Um, I, love, so, I love your wife's <laughs> <laughs> Um, I don't hate the song. I actually kind of like it. I just find it ridiculous, but in a fun, ridiculous way. Um, 
I also love, here we are, we're at the height of the Cold War paranoia, which I'll be interested to hear in a minute, Terry, how, uh, how affected you were by that. And so let's have a song about everyone dying in a nuclear war. Um, that, in you know, um, what's a better way to die than let's just all dance our, our way to the nuclear war. And ultimately, I think the song is like making fun of that kind of hedonistic lifestyle of, you know what, the world's ending. I might as well just party and trash and what's anything matter. So let's just uh, have as much fun as possible, which you know, is kind of a horrible way to live your life. Um, you know, I think God made you for much better things than that. So to have what I feel like is a deep idea there mixed with, you know, um, paranoia and nuclear war with such a silly track is kind of genius because it just points out how silly all that is. All the things I just mentioned are kind of silly and childish if you think about them too hard. And this song kind of points that out. So, yeah, I like the song. Um, not like my favorite track, but I like it a lot. Terry, what do you got for us? And I, but oh, go, Terry, I just want to say, okay, I was, um, I was doing this song one star, but then I was like, I remember my reviews of the first two Daily Ava song albums. I'm like, this song is still better than most of these things, so I'll bump it up to two stars. <laughs> oh, thank you for being so generous. Uh, beautiful, beautiful. Well, um, yeah, I, I mean, I when I hear this, uh, when I hear this album now, um, this is a song that uh, Randy Stonehill does a song called Shut the Dough. Do you guys, are you familiar with this song? I think that song's hilarious. I love it. All right. Yeah, you love it, right? Well, the thing about that, and, I, and I'll get to, I'll get to uh, Dance Stop via Randy's song Shut the Dough. I produced that song for his record, Equator. And Randy does this song in concert. He's been doing it ever since we recorded that particular number. And that may be his most popular song ever. And um, we, were on, we went on tour with Randy a couple times. And Randy did Shefty Doe every night. But Randy would extend the song and his... Uh, satire satirical commentary between the verses and getting people to sing it and so forth and it would take up like to sometimes 30 35 even 40 minutes and we heard this song night after night after night after night and i i think when i first heard the song i thought this is this is great this is a great randy song this is really catchy people are going to love this song but I really hate it because of, you know, for the reasons that I mentioned. Um, with Dance Stop, for me, it's sort of the same thing. I don't hate the song, but this is a song that we uh, did uh, constantly in concert. And it was a, a grand moment for all the people that were there. They loved it. They participated in it. In it. They danced. They stopped when we told them to stop. Uh, they crouch. I told I would tell them to crouch down on the floor, and then they would kind of spring up. So it was it was sort of a a, a concert uh, number, you know, written for audience participation. So in that sense, um, it it wears very thin because you know exactly sort of where it's going. 
um, it's this kind of a it, it's just got this macabre idea of a nuclear annihilation up against this sort of let's have fun dancing. So you're you're right on about that. It also it, it also uh, harkens back to the days when I when I watched American Bandstand uh, with Dick Clark, and he would have the top ten. And he would ask the various teenagers that were that were listening to the song what they thought of a song that he might be that he was premiering on the show, and they'd always say, "I like it. It has a good beat." And so I incorporated that in, into this song. But this song is not is not uh, a song that wears well after a lot of listens. It's very super, I think, accessible right away. And usually those kinds of songs. Um, you, you get tired of pretty quickly. Well, well, I'm glad that's done. Now we can move forward. <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> so live and let live. I'll start this one off. Um, I call this the fuzzy song. It has this fuzzy sound that helps, that makes me feel oriented um kind of and it fits with the nature of these lyrics it's kind of disorienting um we get a synth solo at 205 which we have more of those on this album i love a good synth solo the drums really pop during the chorus they have a mechanical sound to them which matches the mechanical response of the church in the song um which lyrically the song um reveals that the problem with the church and its consumerism isn't a communi communication problem at its core Rather, it is an insidious apathy towards suffering. Back in Alarma, you know, um, um, faces to the window um, throughout the doppelganger. The, it's not that the church doesn't understand. The church is just because it's it's it, it sold its soul literally for plastic and for license plates and T-shirts and getting for numbers, you know, in the, in the pews that they become apathetic. So they've um like the first like the church at ephesus um in the bible they've lost their first love which is god and they've changed it for this macabre disgusting disfigured idol of a religion and because of that you get um this guy the guy's talking about hey i'm falling apart can you help me and they're like sorry we don't have any tears and the church keeps going up and up and up you know with attendance money whatever and throughout the song the guy's just pleading and they got all these excuses why they can't because they're apathetic they're this consumerism has the capitalism turns people into monsters and like um this movie wall street with michael douglas very famous greed is good and it shows in that movie it shows how greed turns people into monsters that that lose their humanity and i think this song does a great um job um describing that because the church at its core is supposed to be they, they've been conditioned co commissioned by god to throw off the comforts of this world to be a source of healing and comfort to the disenfranchised the poor the hungry the persecute um but instead they create their own bubble of comfort like in my room and um and um on um, alarma and then little crosses on doppelganger instead of doing the hard work of helping the suffering and alleviating they do the opposite. They become apathetic and, and make it worse. And 
And I, I mean, it's, I mean, in the song, so that's why I say, so the, the fuzziness of the, the guitar tone, I think fits, um, fits the song perfectly because here's the church missing the whole point. And it's kind of disoriented. It's like, how can you miss it? How did we get here? Like, it's kind of like, it's like waking up, like Rip Van Winkle waking up from a hundred year nap or whatever. It's like, how did we get here? Like, it's like disoriented. Um, I love it. It's four stars. Um, that's, what I got for this? What do you think, Sam? Oh, it's my tenth favorite song in this, which is crazy. This is my tenth favorite song. It's a four star song. It tells you about this album. It's amazing. <laughs> Sam. <laughs> um. So this reminds me a lot, and I don't know if you did this on purpose of um the Beatles, um some Beatles tracks, you know, specifically like um Within You, Without You, or some of their stuff off of Rubber Soul, and um you know with that, that satire satire in the beginning and stuff um. So kind of an interesting sound, change it up a little bit. I also appreciate uh, the nice bass carrying us through all the kind of trippy sounds on this. This um, album, this song is probably the trippiest we've gotten to thus far. I'm just saying something because we had Rocket Packs as song number two. And um, I appreciate another song calling out modern Christianity for their interest in money over people. Um, I, I just kind of hate it. I really do. And I appreciate any song that will call that out because, you know, I feel like uh, we've been raised in a culture where money is good. And, you know, if it doesn't serve the bottom dollar, then it must not be worth it. So I appreciate anything that will call that out. Um, I don't have too many other thoughts on it, quite honestly, though. So, Terry, tell us what you think or some info on this song. Uh, well, you're right to point out the sort of Mideastern sort of sound to it uh, does have a little bit of a within you, without you kind of approach and even even the uh, McCartney-like bass line. So there, there are those elements uh, in there. As far as your guys' own commentary, uh, I have really nothing more to say. I think you're hitting the nail on the head. Um, uh, You've ex you've you've extrapolated it perfectly, and there's just no no point in me going any further. I think I think you're uh, you're right on. All right, well, all right. When worlds collide, Sam, what are your thoughts? All right, so this is my second favorite ballad on the on the album. Um, so this song stuck out to me the first time I listened to it. For one, this is the first time the album, other than William Blake, has like really slowed down. Um, I, you know, um, it's a, it's a lullaby of sorts, presumably from God's point of view. Um, and I, what I really like about it is the sound effects and textures remind you of those old 50 sci-fi movies. And, um, I feel like we get so caught up in kind of sci-fi culture. We, we often forget that God is is truly alien to us as much as we want to believe we understand God and believe that we get it and stuff. We really don't. We, you know, um, we are as far from God as, you know, ants to humans. And so, um, that's really how it would probably feel to be sung to sleep by God is, you know, kind of like a comforting presence that's still super alien. And, um, I, uh, yeah, I, I like that idea in this song. So I think it's a very beautiful, lovely song. Aaron. Thank you. Okay, let's see here. Um, this is my 11th favorite song, so I had a dance stop. 
um, musically, this is the most straightforward of all the songs on the on this album. There's not a lot of flourishes like on. And you're right, Sam. It's slowed down. It's like you know, when Blake this and Sanctuary, like the only slow slowed down songs. Um, there's not a lot of flourishes like on William Blake or Rocket Packs or Home Permanent. Um, so that kind of musically, this is it's, it's a rock ballad. I mean, it's just like it's it's a good song that changes the tempo of the album until the three minute seventeen second mark to the end. Um, then it sounds like it's part of this album because it's just so. And again, again, the minimum, like I don't, I don't feel minimal on this album at all. But until this song comes on, and it feels like this song doesn't really belong in the song until like it's that moment, three seventeen to the end, where all the extra sounds and stuff come in. Um, I know Daniel Amos fans love this album and the tribute album Worlds Collide. That was actually my first introduction to Daniel Amos. And I realized it because Starfire had a song, a couple other bands, Sixpence, and the bands I really liked. So I got that. So I heard some of these songs from their versions before I heard the Daniel Amos versions. And so I know this is an important song to Daniel Amos fans. So when I listened to it, I was like, oh, this is going to be epic. And it's not, it's, I mean, it's not a terrible song. I mean, but it's, it's all right, you know, it's good. Um, this is the first of the two two Job songs on this album. Um, God makes his first appearance on this album and sings to us all. He says, yes, this world's a mess, but take comfort, I've overcome it. It's a beautiful song. This 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 should have been in hymnals, <laughs> the world uh, uh, around in 1984. It's a beautiful sim, um, um, song, but on this album, it's kind of flat because of what's everything else. Three and a half stars. I mean, still, still good. It's not terrible, but if this was on a different album, you know, because sometimes you know tracking and order of songs, which doesn't matter anymore because of streaming, which drives me crazy. But if this song was on a different album, I think I would like it more. Um, but um, it's on this album, so it kind of goes down a peg. So, yeah, I don't. I mean, I don't hate it. I like it. It's just not one of the best ones on this album. All right, Terry, what did we mess up? Well, you guys haven't messed anything up. That's that's. That's kosher. Um, I, I, th I think every album needs a little, uh, a place you can breathe a little bit, kind of kick back, relax a little bit. This is kind of the break and things it follows, um, uh, follows dance stop. <clears throat> and, you know, it's all on the heels of it's sick. Wayne Blake um, is what it is, but um, this is just, um, I think, I think uh, in sort of a, in a way, a sort of reassuring word to uh, the listener. Um, you've encountered, uh, you know, everything from nuclear warfare to techno technology run amok to, um, uh, you know, many many of the world's problems to phony um, Christianity and uh, and that sort of thing. So I, I think this is a I think I think this is just a place to sort of um, relax and receive something of of grace in all of this. And it can be argued that it doesn't fit on the record, but I think it's it comes at a very um, uh, it it comes at a, at a at a sort of perfect time in the in the course of this record to allow just sort of um, and I, and I think I think in terms of what the sentiments being expressed and the sense of um here's all this chaos has preceded it in the other songs but here's your you know harking back to sanctuary here here is your 
here's your place of rest. Here's your place of my presence. Here's your place of, of, of my assurance. And I, I do agree that there, there's much that we can't know about God. But if I want to know about his care for me or the, the comfort that he offers, then uh, I can know something about who Jesus is and the words he spoke and the deeds that he did and um, his healing words and even the power of the words to, to raise the dead. So um, this uh, this just is a reflection, a reflection on that. It's not it's not the greatest song on the record, but I think it's one uh, that is essential to this collection. I wholeheartedly agree. Um, like you need this song at this point in this album. And something I will say, um, a lot of complaints I have about albums, we, we've um, developed a lingo on our podcast where tracks, usually like the last four tracks or so, we call No Man's Land um, because those are the tracks that just, they don't stick out. You know, you've already heard everything else and you're not to the last track yet. So right. they just kind of blend. This doesn't blend to me. Um, I think it's a very beautiful song, and you're right. It's it's nice just to take that moment to stop and um, you know have pretty much a worship track for all intents and purposes. Well, I think too it it's sort of what is it's transcendent and the, the idea that it it sort of uh, uh, goes beyond the sort of earthly view of uh, all the all all the injustice and hatred and phoniness and uh, fear and all of that in the world and it 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 goes to the place of of uh sort of rising rising above it for that moment where we can kind of take a breath and and uh, and then breathe in you know again and and with the fresh air so so for me um it's 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 an essential part of the collection not the greatest song in the world, but it serves its purpose. For me, I guess I'm I'm more of an emotional masochist, so like all the horror that's in the song, I, like I'm okay with that. And then like just having, if you take this song out and just have sanctuary at the end for all that that healing, I think. And you know, I've never listened to it. Like I'm gonna I'm gonna try that. I'm gonna listen and see how that how that sounds. Just take when worlds collide and just be okay with the comfort of the end because I mean. Everything's not rainbows and skittles, you know. Life is hard. I mean, it's it's can be horrific and hellish at times. And so, I think albums that address that in a full and and a honest way, without trying to like baby or nurture their, you know, like um, protect their audience and just say, hey, this is it. This is terrible, you know. So, you know, deal with this. Can we fix this, you know? And then just having some comfort to end. I think that would for me. I mean, just personally. But you're right. I mean, it. I do agree. Like it's it's a lot on this album. So having the worlds collide, and I see artistically why you would do that because it is a lot. You need a breather. I get, it. but I'm more of an intense person, so I can't speak for everybody. <laughs> so that's just me. Well, yeah, I, I hear you. I hear exactly what we're talking about. But I'm I'm uh, I feel uh, this expression of a passion that goes in a, in a different direction than the passion that has preceded it, and I I believe in both. And believe in in the the reality of both things, and so uh, it's sort of um, it's not it's not kowtowing to the faith community or uh, something of that nature, or or me saying, oh, 
we've had a lot of, uh, you know, weird songs. So let's throw in something that a lot of people are going to like or, you know, some move like that. I don't, <laughs> was, would, it, I don't think anybody she's Daniel Amos of doing that musically or lyrically. <laughs> right. So, so, so <laughs> I, 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 as intensely as I believe what preceded is, is true, I believe it itself is true. And so part of, uh, part of, uh, part of that is including uh, within the framework of this particular record and, and on other records as well is a, is a, is a, is a holistic worldview. And uh, part of that is in my life is uh, the presence of uh, the comforter. And, 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 that, and that, that's another, that's another reason for the song. For sure. All right. Well, we've talked about this one um, longer than I thought we would. So let's move on. Um, you know, we got we got two world songs in a row. First, we had when worlds collide. Now let's talk about as worlds turn. As um, the world turns, you know, I never realized that. Like you're right. <laughs> that connection. <laughs> so, Aaron, tell me what you think of this song. Uh this is my eighth favorite song on this album. Um, four stars, so it's still great. Um, I, just like a dance, a dance, dance, dance a Billy wave, like rockabilly, but dance a Billy wave. It's a, it's a very interesting um, sound of music. I, I think you created a new genre of music on the song. Um, and the Hound of Heaven on Horrendous Disc, Terry You Bash, L.A., and you do it again here, Elliot Sahara Show. Why do you hate LA so much, Terry? <laughs> oh, I have a love-hate relationship with LA. <laughs> okay. I find it hilarious. It's like, man, this guy does not like LA. <laughs> um, and this song is about true Christianity, I think, which is wholly different from the consumerism discussed on Doppelganger and songs um previous um on here. Love is the only way out of this. So so technology and this consumerism, this Hard to communicate. Um, the limitation of communication in the human experience has created this tangled mess, and um, it's it's the it's technological induced apathy and indifference. And the only way out of this is love. Um, when you try to live for love, God, whatever you know, higher power you believe in, the world will slap you hard and put you down, just like um, just like it did Martin Luther King. Um, just like Jesus promises um, followers in this world, you will have trouble, but I leave you my peace because because um, um, the world is, um, th that's why God sent, you know, the son to the world because he, they need an example of love to follow and the, and the world wasn't ready for it. And so why should we expect differently? Um, the, um, so I love the driving sense and percussion. This song is, uh, as far as dance songs go, this song is way better than Dance Stop. This, this again, this could have been a single too. As I mean, you um, Home Permit is catchy. I think this song's even catchier. Like, uh, hey ho, slaps me hard. Like I had like I, hours in my life just singing that in my head, literally. It, gosh, it's too much. Um, this, um, this is pop perfection. I love the rumbling sound doing the breakdown. And you have to listen to the song and headphones of all the songs in this album. There's so much, so many things happening in the background. And that percussion throughout the song is, is just hypnotic. I love it. What do you think, Sam? So um, I think the song is very straightforward lyrically, uh, speaking about wanting different things than the rest of the world. 
um, even the rest of Christianity for that matter, just like you said, Aaron, um, if we're followers of Jesus, we should probably want different things in the world and um, fake Christianity. Um, and I like that, you know, if you do these things, you will get metaphorically slapped for it. And Jesus says, turn the other cheek. And I think that might be the hardest thing for anyone to deal with. Um, where, you know, uh, one of my favorite things is Jesus goes through the whole entire, here's how you pray. He gets to the end of that and says, and by the way, you know that part I said about forgiving others? If you don't do that, I can't really forgive you. So think about that. Um, and this song doesn't really touch on that per se, but it does talk about, you know, you get slapped, keep standing, let them slap you again, forgive and move on. Um, continues in this kind of catchy 80s pop sound. Um, it's not a bad track. It's uh, it's kind of stuck in that no man's land, but I honestly don't feel like it slows the progress of the album down or anything. I like it pretty well. Terry, what do you got? Well, I think again, it's essential in in uh, where where it appears in the record. It comes off of when worlds collide. This is sort of a this kicks in, um, kicks up the comes out of the sort of uh, reflective, uh, moody kind of song and goes into sort of a rock and roll kind of thing. Pretty straightforward. This is one of my favorite songs on the on the record, actually. Um, I, I mean, I'm, I, it, it really satisfied me as a writer. Uh, this is a great song in, in concert. And um, uh, I just I, I have a good feeling about that song. It's, it's one that I don't tire of easily, uh, as opposed to something like that and Dance Stop. So um, pretty, pretty happy with the song. As you'll notice at the end of the song, you've got a, a couple of voices coming in saying slaps me hard one is a very uh, paul mccartney sounding uh, english gentleman saying slaps me hard uh i don't know if your audience knows who felt phil keggy is but that was phil keggy uh, who happened to be his... <laughs> what's that i did not know that yeah and uh, so what's interesting about that is uh, Kagi was visiting the studio and I'd met Phil before, didn't really know him very well. And Rick Kua was the other guy that was with him, did the other, the, the Italian voice that you hear on there. But um, uh, so it got back to me that, that Phil, uh, somebody asked him about the song. And uh, he said, yeah, you know, it's, it's a really good song, you know, but I'm not sure I know what it's about. He goes, yeah, I didn't I didn't really uh, sit there and sort of listen to all the words and study it. He says, as far as I can tell, it's about exercising. He goes, and uh, I got that clue by the word um, exercise yard and turn the other cheek. <laughs> <laughs> so so there you go but uh, i think you guys are, uh, are are spot on in terms of uh what the song's about and uh there you go very nice all right let's move on to another one of my top three favorite songs my favorite ballad on this album um i think it's like this 
rocket packs and um it's sick are probably my three favorite albums on this three favorite songs on this album um, oh, okay what would an an album that sounds like a love letter to the 80s written during the 80s be without a power ballad and oh i love power ballads like they're they're my weak spot just i love them so much um i found the melody um beautifulness i don't care that it's coming from a kind of hokey keyboard i kind of love that actually it just hits that that spot in me for uh, the electronic keyboard and i love the bridge where it says she said you need not cry where it sounds like almost two separate people singing at each other um i, I feel a little bit lost on what the song's exactly about but it's so beautiful and so catchy and just the the music itself thrills me so much that I don't care. <laughs> um, I just, yeah, it, it totally, it hits me right in that happy spot. And I'm sure you guys are going to tell me that the lyrics are amazing and I'm going to like it even more. <laughs> <laughs> well, I, I will start. I will start. Um um, I'm with you, Sam. When I, this of all the songs, this one took me some time to understand what was going on. But you're right; I, 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 the music is so great. I don't think, uh, like he could re- just be reading names from the phone book. I wouldn't care. Such a good song. Um, but the synths that played during the verses, um, it sounded like horns, and it's so gorgeous. It makes the song even more heartbreaking. The guitar solo is understated. It's just what the song needs. Um, this song to me is about the mundanity and sublimity of life, destroying a relationship with no space for grandiosity. Um, so I'm listening the the guy, the 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 first verse is from a poem. Help me with the name, Terry. Cheslos Mish. I'm gonna pronounce his name wrong. Cheslo Milos. Yeah, Cheslo Milos. So the first verse is from a poem from that guy he just said and um that's not the only daniel lima song where his lyrics his lines show up um this is probably the most depressing song in the album because here are two people that are in love with each other but because of the, the divergent beliefs about christianity it can never truly be together as one i think um i i think specifically that is what this song is about but also generally it's about romantic relationships and how they fail Used because of communication problems, theme of this record, um, but also how we hide our true selves from one another. The line, when I cry, she doesn't see. Um, either she's not seeing the narrator when he's crying or he's using a mask and hiding his tears, like in Doppelganger. Um, another callback to, from there. And so to me, when I hear the song, it's like one of the most, and, I'm, and of course you love this song, Sam, because just instinctively you love a good breakup song. And <laughs> even though, even, <laughs> I can't help it. I just, I, I do love breakup songs. Even when you don't even know what the lyrics are about, you just say, yeah, this, I just love it because you know instinctively in your core, you know, this is a breakup song. And it's, <laughs> it's one of the most depressing ones because it's a, a committed, a long, it sounds like a real long relationship. And then the, that thing, the how they view, their faith is the thing that keeps them from actually ever touching. All right, Terry, what do you, what's this song about? Spill the tea. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I like all the stuff you guys are, 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 are saying. Um, I really appreciate it. Um, I think there's been a broader application or um, I'm not sure how to say it, but 
the idea of it being a power ballot, I want to start with that. I don't, I don't consider this a power ballot at all, if, if, if I know at all what a power ballot is. It's very Beatlesque, and, and I'm not sure you could say anything uh, that the Beatles did were, was a power ballot, unless you're thinking that something like All You Need Is Love is a power ballot, or I don't oh, know. Oh, no, I, it just reminded me of, like, Journey is what it was reminding you oh, of. But... Oh, please, please don't ever say that to me ever again that has to be that can't i i can't i can't uh, i can't handle it you keep comparing everybody keeps comparing their names to the beatles and i can't i can't deal with the beatles i just can't deal with the beatles so i feel you on the journey thing but it kind of journeys journeys all right <laughs> oh you guys oh journey oh uh, I, I actually saw Journey and ELO in concert one time. Journey was one of the loudest things I've ever heard in my life. That'd be a good concert. I went to see ELO. I didn't think I was going to see Journey, but I know I I know that I caused a lot of people you know, consternation if I mentioned that I'm not a real big Journey's fan. Just look at some of those videos. But anyway, uh, she's all heart. Um, I, I think you guys have made some valid uh, comments on uh, where the song is getting at. I think it's a, I think it is, it, it, on, on, on some level, it's a relational, um, well, uh, it is a relational song. It uh, has to do with two people. One, you might consider something like pragmatic, simple view of life someone who sort of floats over the surface of things and the other is introspective and goes to deeper places in their lives and uh, it's it's from that that uh, second uh, the latter's uh, perspective that this song is being sung uh, she doesn't she doesn't feel my pain she doesn't she doesn't know what i'm going through she has a different philosophy of life she thinks that uh, I, I'm too uh, uh, glum, I'm too introspective. Um, and I, I think in some ways there's a, there's a, in some respect, there's sort of a yearning to be more like her because she seems to be dealing with things fairly, fairly well. And here I am over in the corner, you know, contemplating my navel and trying to figure out uh, things like what is life about and who's God and, all these sorts of things. Um, I, 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 a disclaimer, this is not my relationship with my wife, but even all relationships have some moments like this that, um, that we, we can all attest to and um, that we'll never, in a strong relationship, a strong bond, then um, there can be a sort of uh, synthesis of both, both views in sort of a balanced way. Uh, in this one, obviously, things are pretty out of whack, and it is a it is a sad song. All right, possibly my favorite song title on this album, "Incredible Shrinking Man." Um, more references to fifty sci-fi movies in this. Um, um, there's more mechanical um, percussion. I love, um, I love it, and the um, the descending sound of it during the chorus. The incredible shrinking man goes. Doo -doo 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 -doo. I think that's very catchy. So many catchy songs on this album. Um, I can't believe this wasn't a big hit in the 80s. Um, it's incredible that all these songs 
um, minus the ballot, Sanctuary, Worlds Collide, and William Blake um, are similar to one another without sounding the same. I think that's hard to do. And um, none of the music or the lyrics really sound redundant. And this is like the third installment of a four-part series. And each song on all of these albums do a good job of pushing the message or the theme for it without being redundant, which is hard to do. Um, it really is. And I love I, the lyrics in this um, talk about how like technology is replacing us and can also decay the soul. And I love the line about the clergy putting cakes on us. And I used to, I was a pastor um, for a little bit. And that's what one of my um, pet peeves with Christianity is, is that they try to build people up like, you know, the line, do all things, you can do, achieve all things through Christ. And so they make people think that they're superheroes. They got these capes. And that's just a bad setup because you're human, you're flawed. You're going to fall and crash and make mistakes. And now you have the church telling you, hey, you got all this unlimited power. You got the power of Christ, the same power that raised Christ from the dead is in. You can do whatever. And you're failing. And that creates depression. That creates insecurities, you know, self-doubt mm -hmm. and all those things. And it shrinks you. And like, and so you have technology, you have the world, bombs being dropped on your lawn, which happens in, it doesn't happen in America, thank God, but it's happening in countries right now, literal bombs being dropped on people's lawns. And so you have this technology, um, you have the globalization of the world, you have, um, you know, all this progress, you have um, the church trying to build you up and it's just, and you're failing and, you, you know, it's people and it's Christian specifically in this song, you just feel so small and like you're shrinking because the world is so big around you, but you're told that you, you know, you can walk on water. And I think those, you know, lyrically, this is just so on point. Um, Four Stars, my seventh favorite song on this album. What do you think, Sam? So um, this is the song that draws everything together on this album. This is uh, not quite the title track per se, but it kind of serves as a title track. Uh, you get B-movie references, the fear of nuclear annihilation, the church's and technology failure in our lives. And then you have this totally 80s drum machine. And <laughs> I love this even more because um, the melody sounds like the Stepford Wives. And here's what I mean. It's like all smiles, but in a totally creepy way. And I don't know if the Stepford Wives was a thing in the 80s yet, but I, it just reminds me of that. And I think it was. It's it was like, a movie, I think, in the 50s or 60s, right? I, I don't remember. <laughs> so this just pulls the whole entire package together and just mm, nice little bow. Chef's kiss. Terry, nice. what do you got? Nice. <laughs> well, you know, I... I um. I had a friend, Tom Howard, uh, God rest his soul. Um, but he, uh, he went to a church out in Irvine and he invited me to come out. Pa Pastor Ben Patterson was out there. And, um, so I thought, okay, another church, I'll go and check it out, whatever. And, uh, he started sharing a story, something that had recently happened to him. He said, where there'd been this, uh, young guy, probably 18, 19 years old that had, had a car, car and, and they lived in this community and uh, every day this car uh, would be speeding down the, down the suburban streets there, uh, you know, uh, recklessly. And Ben had kids and uh, people had kids. And so 
he would ask the guy to slow down. You know, he'd he'd go out there and and kind of hold up his hand and say, "Can you please slow down?" And the guy just ignored him. And uh, this happened day after day, and Ben was getting angry and angry and angrier. Now remember, he's sharing this for the church, and uh, he went over to the where this kid lived with his parents, and the kid comes out, and the kid, um, cop in a you know smug, smarty attitude. And Ben uh, hauled off and slapped him across the face, knocked him down. And uh, the kid, yeah, and the kid, uh, kid uh, goes into the house. And um, but anyway, one thing leads to another, and uh, he talks to the parents, and uh, he apologizes to the kid, and uh, just explains to you know, the other children in the in the in the neighborhood. He's concerned about that, as all the neighbors are, and so forth and so on. Anyway, after after a period of time, there was a healing in that relationship, and they they actually became friends. Um, uh, as the story goes, that I learned later, but uh, the the fact that uh, Ben was telling this story in front of this congregation, and uh, essentially saying, "I'm a I'm a man, I'm a human being with my flaws," and he and and in some ways even. You might say he was justified on some level, but uh, he was confessing his weakness, and uh, uh, and and there was there was just such power in that power in the fact that he was transparent and vulnerable, and that spoke more than almost any pastor I'd ever heard in my life, um, sharing his common humanity with with that uh, uh, congregation. And um, so, I, you know, I, 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 I just uh, I, I wanted to share that as a point to what was being made earlier. Uh, incredible shrinking man. I think you guys are um, I think you're you're spot on in, in uh, your assessment of it in terms of what it what what I'm trying to say there. Um, uh, this song uh, for me. I, um, I don't tire of this song. Um, I, uh, it, for some reason, this song, uh, rests easy on me. I can, I can hear it any time and, and enjoy it. Um, and that's, that's because, and I can say that with some, uh, objectivity because it's, you know, I've, I've probably shared with the, you in the past where these kinds of album, these, these records and, and songs, they, when because because of the age of them i've become now more of a listener and and uh, less of some less like someone who was actually involved in creating this thing and so i have this uh, sort of different viewpoint at this time in my life so i can go back through a record like vox humana and go yeah that works well that oh maybe we should have moved that over here i i i easily tire of this song that's an incredible shrinking man seems to really hold up well for me and uh, I think it's uh, one of the strongest on the record. All right. Well, let's go ahead and end this. Um, I know a lot of people really love this la- the closing track. And um, we've had conversations on this podcast and other podcasts many times about how important the closing track is in an album. It is. Um, uh, you, so might what- have already played, you might have already played your card because you. I think you said something about 
Incredible Shrieking Man is a perfect song to wrap up the record. So well, go ahead. Yes and that. no. So I actually like <laughs> the last two songs work in tangent. Um, a great example of this is on um, Starflyer 59's The Fashion Focus. You have, um, oh, Aaron, help me too out much, here. Too, much, too fun. much fun, followed by Days of Limic. Two like, yeah. songs that complement each other perfectly. I feel like that's what these do. Um, the Incredible Shrinking Man, The Sanctuary, complement each other really well um, and wrap up the album themes musically and lyrically. Um, the Incredible Shrinking Man is our physical reality we got to deal with. Now, Sanctuary is our spiritual reality, being reminded God is our hope and our rest. Um, and that's a great way to end the album on that note. Um, the only thing I wish is I, I um, don't like how bombastic it feels, and I'm sure that was done on purpose to fit in the rest of the themes of the album and everything. Um, I kind of enjoy the acoustic version of it a little bit better. But um, I don't. I think it's a a good closing track for this album, and especially paired with the Incredible Shrinking Man, it works pretty great. So that's my thoughts. Okay. I'm I'm with you on that, and and I would say the another parallel would be um, Walls of Doubt and Ghost of the Heart and Alarma, because Walls of Doubt again like the best Terry Taylor songs ever. And it's such a it's such an intense and emotional song that you can't. I, I goes through the heart. It's a great wrap up because Wall of Doubt is really the distillation, the the wrap up of the album. But then I think goes to the heart. It's like the credits because you know I see these albums as a song as movies. And um, same here. I'm with you, Sam. I agree. Incredible Shrinking Man is kind of like. Like just like the double on Doppelganger, this is really like the the title track and kind of like the summarization of everything. And Sanctuary is the credits, and it it could and it is a great one two punch. I agree with that. This song is great, but I disagree with the music because this song is grand and majestic in all the right ways. Um, the guitars for me are the highlights on this song, and this is the only song that I want. I feel like the the guitars are the linchpin of the song. Like the rest of them, it's maybe the drum, maybe the drums, the keyboards, the synths, you know, some, you know, whatever. But this is the first song that I feel like the guitars, like the driving force, um, in the song. I feel New Order vibes in the song. Um, this is lyrically, this is Job song number two. Um, and the line, okay, the line: If your greatest fears are realized, remember me you know and i i love i wish that would have been the last line of the whole album like because it's just so it's such an important lyric um if it's not i mean it might be the greatest most important lyric on, on a terry taylor song um because you go through all this health this on this album and the messages the the worst can happen and sometimes it does happen and probably it will happen, but it's okay. And it's such comfort. Like, it's so, so you go through a whole album of like, can, um, well, I mean, from a um, new car to freaking um, in my room, like you just, the theme of Christians being weak and not wanting to authentically be Christians because they're scared of feeling and actually, you know, experiencing God, God because, you know, the Bible says God's consuming fire. That's not a pleasant thing. 
you know and so but we missed that and so for in this song to 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 remember to remind listeners that this is not supposed to be easy <laughs> this is supposed yeah. to be hard you know and i love that line um this closes the album out perfectly. They tie together all the communication problems inherent in humanity, the attempts to communicate with the other, um, using technology and just their human voice, Vox Humana. And then you also talk about, like Sam mentioned earlier, how alien God is. And it's like, for me, like, God is like, like Shakespeare and we're Romeo and Juliet. How can Romeo and Juliet understand God? We're created, you know? And, we have to, and we'll get to that more so in Darn Floor. I'm not, that's a whole can of worms I'm not going to get into right now. But, <laughs> this, but this song, but this album and this song does suggest that it's hard for us to communicate with the divine. There is a communication problem there. But the, the answer to this is the divine has spoken to us. God has spoken to us. The end. Love and community are the focus. That should be the focus of our communication with our, with god and other people love and community not consumerism not not comfort not um like you mentioned terry earlier about how we're using our our um the the um trinkets and acrimon of christianity to prove that how spiritual we are that's not the point it's community and love and this confirms to me that DA are modern psalmists on par with King David, because those psalms, they challenge, they they push you, they force you to look at life real in the stark, bleak realness, with the sheer horror of living life, but also brings in the comfort and the hope and the beauty of God and love for one another. This is the 23rd psalm of our time. Five stars, my my third favorite song on this album, The Best Ballad. I love it. Well, thank you so much. That's that's very, very touching and complimentary. I really appreciate it. Yeah, in some ways, uh, When Worlds Collide is a pre- precursor to this particular song. This is uh, When Worlds Collide. <laughs> yeah. But it, 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 it's sort of, uh, they're, 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 uh, they're cousins, I think. But, um, uh, majestic is a good is a good uh, way to describe what we were attempting to go here for sonically, and uh, think we think we did achieve it. Um, this song uh, is probably one of the our more, more popular songs. It gets mentioned quite a bit by the fans, so I think there's sort of a universal. Um, embracing of this of this song and and um, i put a lot of passion into writing it and felt every word of it um uh, so it 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 if it has the 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 ring of truth to it then um then that is a supreme compliment because that um it it, it's more than a song to me it is it, it is a it is my heart uh, poured out on the page. So, um, thank you guys for 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 that for that stuff. Um, I, I really do appreciate it. And I do want to say something, just backing up a little bit about this uh, definition of minimalistic. I want to I want to and 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 um, I wanted to kind of clear that up a little bit. 
the reason I call it minimalistic is because, um, and this gets off the beaten track of the song lyrics and all that, just kind of the technical aspects of it. Um, uh, we were, as, as I told you guys, uh, when we first started talking about the record, this is confined to eight tracks. And so we didn't have the opportunity, to, which we, which most bands do go in, they'll go into a 24 track. They've got 24 tracks and even more twice that sometimes to do things. Um, where a song like Sanctuary sounds majestic, it's interesting. It's fairly simple, but there's so much uh, because of the eight track kind of punch that you get because of having uh, the limited number of tracks. There is a there's a sort of breathing in all of this. This this album is in in my mind is small in many ways. It's it's very it's it's not as uh, pastoral as say Fearful Symmetry or even Doppelganger. It's just got this sort of small room feel to it, and there is a minimum amount of instruments. Uh, Rob was playing some keyboard things and patches that could fill up those spots, but you still get a sense of that breathing. With Sanctuary, there's very, for me, and from my point of view, there's very little going on. And yet you still get a sense of the majesty of, of uh, that, particular, um, that particular song. So um, anyway, I just wanted to mention that. And, uh, and, and thank you both for the compliments uh, about Sanctuary. It really means a lot to me. Not compliments, the truth. <laughs> appreciate that. Appreciate that. All right. Well, let's wrap this thing down. We've been talking for a long time. Um, my final thoughts in my nine star rating system. So, uh, this is the poppy, yet no less creepy, next chapter in the Alarma Chronicles. Um, I, I love that uh, dichotomy of poppy, yet creepy at the same time. Um, and it challenges our perception of technology, progress, and even nostalgia. Um, something I didn't really talk about, but um, in this in this album, addressing like Z Rust so much and uh, what we thought technology was going to be, it really challenges how great we thought things were in the past as well. Um, and you know, a lot of things that we thought were socially progressive and stuff forty years ago look like nothing you know 50 years ago whatever um and it just challenges our view of that so this album is more inviting than doppelganger yet there is still enough kind of uh indie quirkiness to it that's going to scare off your casual radio listener for better or for worse um i think it's uh lyrics i give a 2.5 um I, I like the lyrics a lot but they're not quite as high as doppelganger lyrics for me a music, I give a two out of three. Um, it's a really great, catchy, poppy music, um, still with that indie flair. And overall, I give this a 2.5 out of three, where I feel like this album holds up. And, you know, with our kind of nostalgia goggles firmly in place for the past 10, 15 years, it holds up even better. So I give it a seven out of nine. Nice. Aaron, how about you? Okay, um, I'm glad that it wasn't called Voice Robotica because this is about human inadequacy, not technologies 
inadequacy because after all we the people we create the tech the tech doesn't create us and that's the sad truth to quote radiohead we do it to ourselves and that's what really hurts the problems with ai and the social media um being addicted to our phones all these things even cocaine that atomic bomb all these things humans created and so this album is about humans struggle with trying to reckon with themselves in the world and try to live amongst themselves and it's been a i mean it's been hard <laughs> to put it lightly and so i'm glad that you titles Vatsumana. um and to me i think because we know that daniel amos changed with their sounds throughout their career to me i think this is the starkest change i know people are like from shotgun angel the horrendous this yes i get it but i think from doppelganger to Vatsumana, i think that to me in my ears i was like this sounds way it's more starker um it's more insane like so and then um there's so as you listeners know, like in the, the Alarma Chronicles, there's this continuing story, which we can't even get into because there's just so much. There's a continuing story. This is why you need the physical <laughs> copies. There's another story going on to go along with the, with the music. And there's a line from that story that says, technology is threatening to crush me and all of humanity and has left me eaten up by boredom and utter, and I'm sorry, boredom and inner emptiness. Man. That <laughs> <It> just nails. <laughs> that just nails humanity in this time right now. Like we're bored, so what do we do? We're on Facebook. We're on all Snapchat. We're doing all these things, and it just creates this these worlds where I mean, we talked about um, in my uh, um, in my room and um, how we, the Christian. Um, subculture creates this bubble, but then there's bubbles within that bubble where everyone is just trying to feed their own selves and, and it leads to emptiness because you're not really connecting with people when you're just having people parrot things that you say and believe and it, that's not real connection and yeah it's just amazing how like that line from 1984 is still relevant in 2021 it's just amazing so overall uh, um going with sam's rating and although um dance stop is whatever the just sanctuary it's sick and home and home permanent are just such amazing songs that it just it's like dense i forgive that and this song for me i mean musically three lyrically three how it holds up over time three this is and i think i gave doppelganger a nine out of nine if dance stop wasn't here this would be a 10 out of nine but it's about humanas i give this a nine out of nine as well it's doppelganger is and, and i'm and i'm with you sam i think um this is more accessible I'm, I'm sorry this turn um it's so quirky that probably the casual listener um would be turned off more by it and same with doppelganger but it's just art for art's sake and and i really give and i and i give a lot of credit to that and like bands who are more concerned about creating art than like selling records or like you know um pandering to their audience i really appreciate that and doppelganger definitely did that with the freaking intro hollow man like who was an album like that but then with <laughs> vox humana too it's just so 
it's it's is it in your, in like the story you told about how you picked out the the studio and then that how you know that led to the songwriting and that makes sense because you can't listen to this album and think that the bands oh we're trying to get rich no they have it they had a vision this is the art they want to put out and they be damned everything else be damned this is what we're trying to say this is the message we're trying to communicate and i really appreciate that and that's why i love this album so much well thank you thank you very much mm-hmm. appreciate it what are your final All thoughts right. on well um I, I i don't i don't really have anything to add um um i the only thing i would say is that um uh, part of my memories of do, uh, doing that record, uh, the the lasting memories of uh, obviously of creating it and 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 what led us to that particular little funky studio in Costa Mesa and all those things. But there's two people in that in that scenario that uh, that were devastating losses to me. One Tim Chan, the great Tim Chandler, our bass player. I miss Tim every day. There's not a day that goes by that I don't think about him. Don't think about his humor and his creativity and the fact that he was an incredible champion in my life. A person who pushed me beyond my own boundaries and uh, rooted me, uh, cheered cheered me on to, to go further and not, not to be self-conscious. And uh, I'll, I'll never forget him. The other is the great Doug Doyle who engineered this record and someone I did many of my records with. Uh, Doug passed a few years back, and um, but I'll always see him in that studio, and and he really was part of Daniel Amos, and um, such a such a wonderful, um, incredible guy with a work ethic like no no other person in the world. So uh, a shout out to them. Hopefully they can hear it, um, and um, uh, just a reminder that. Um, um, I know you guys have probably said something about it, but um, uh, my Patreon page, Terry Scott Taylor, anybody interested in uh, hearing new music and some of the old stuff, even some of the stuff that we mentioned off Oxymana, I've reinterpreted uh, interpreted and uh, done new versions of those songs and then brand new songs, a lot of other things on there you can check out. No pressure, just stop by, check it out a little bit and and hopefully you'll become part of our Patreon family. So I appreciate you guys giving me the opportunity to present that to whoever's listening. Thank you for spending a night with us talking through this. Um, we really appreciate it. All right, guys. Thank you. That's always my pleasure. It's so great. Thank you so much. And my hair, even though I have no hair, it will always point to the sky. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, by the by the way, I appreciate uh, you all, you guys also knowing your audience knowing that I'm uh, starting to wrap up my solo project. So I can't wait for you guys to hear it. Maybe we can talk about that too. Sometimes. Yeah, for sure. Absolutely. Yeah. All right, guys. So with that said, um, it is another night ended. Um, once again, my name is Samuel, and I'm Aaron. And this... thanks again, Terry, for joining us. Absolutely, all right, guys. Love you guys. Talk to you soon. All right. This has been a Brothers King Media production. Mm-hmm.